0: Welcome to Out of Breath, where you'll embark on a no-holds-barred journey through the gritty realities of sleep apnea and sleep dentistry. Award-winning, board-certified otolaryngologist Dr. Muthin Candula and best-selling author Jason Tierney pull no punches as they dissect the industry's flaws and triumphs, providing you with an unvarnished look at the dynamic and ever-evolving world of better sleep. Do you like
1: Pink Floyd?
0: I like certain... Songs
1: of okay. Pink Floyd. I don't like Pink Floyd.
0: Do you like the Red Hot Chili
1: Peppers? No. Okay, good. Back to Pink Floyd. Okay. I think probably the most popular album mm-hmm. is called The Wall. I think so. See what I did there?
0: I that's I, that's why I was like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Okay. Yes, The Wall. That's yeah. good. Another brick in the wall, right? Building the wall.
1: Last time we, last series, you talked about the wall that's in. Sleep medicine Yes. Define the wall for me. Well, I think there are a
0: lot of walls. Um, the wall I was referring to is the wall between the medical community who uh, um, treats sleep and the dental sleep medicine community. That's the specific wall, but I think there are, there are many other walls there too, so it's not it's like sort of a maze.
1: Yeah, there's this sort of internecine mm-hmm. warfare. Yeah. not just between medical and dental, but then within, within each of those, right. Absolutely. My appliance is better than your appliance.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, It's just walls and walls and walls. And and then, uh, you know, who's on the other side of that? Patients who are just, they, they don't, we talked about this last time. They don't care about your walls. They don't care about your flock. They don't care about any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. They just want to breathe and they just want to sleep and we're not really helping them. Mm-hmm. Like, I guess that's my, you know, that's my belief. But back to the wall, I'd say, yeah, you know, it's the wall I was referring to is that um, as the system is, 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 has been constructed, uh, a dentist who wants to be treating uh, sleep patients, um, sleep disordered breathing patients, has to figure out a way how to interact with the medical community. And there's very various ways you can do that, but basically they're on the other side of that wall. And if you're on the medical side of the wall, um, it is theoretically easier because we can we can diagnose, we can you know we can uh, do a sleep uh, study, we can uh, order treatment, uh, we could theoretically deliver treatment, uh, that kind of thing. But I, I do feel like for a dental sleep medicine um, professional that they've got to, they've got to figure out a way to get the ball on you know on from the, the medicine side and uh the frustrating part of things i would imagine is you know it's when you're standing on the outside trying to look in it's not easy and in fact i think it's sometimes sort of impossible but,
1: almost impossible
0: yeah. yeah can be
1: yeah last time we spoke you talked about you know the the, the strength of the individual mm-hmm. and while it's seemingly impossible there are Dozens of dentists, not, I mean, there are 180,000, close to 200,000 dentists in the U.S., there are dozens of dentists treating, you know, 100 plus patients per month. Okay. It's an an abysmal number. Having said that, it's evidence that it can be done. Those dentists face the same challenges, same issues that all these, you know, the other 180,900 dentists face. Yeah, So it can be done. And you've shown that an ENT can treat a lot of patients with oral appliance therapy Mm -hmm. every month, every year. Correct. What's different? What's different about those dentists? What's different about you than your your colleagues that are on the other side of that wall wishing they could do more?
0: You know, I think there's... um Probably focus is is a key component. Focus and um, sort of the force of will. Um, and I don't you tell me, but my in my understanding, the many um, dentists who are part of the dental sleep medicine community have um, uh, whatever traditional dental practices and dental sleep is just a component of that. It may, and help me uh, is that that's is that true? Where, where most dentists who, who, who most
1: who, dentists aren't treating. Sleep exclusively. Exclusively. Yes.
0: Those the dentists and kind of that posse that's that are high volume, most of them, all of them are exclusive. Not all, but most. Most. Yes. So to me that's that's a clear distinct distinction. And then it's like, well, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Did they just have so many patients that they could just shut shut it down everywhere else? Or did they say no, this is important, I'm going to do this And it's probably some mixture of both of those things in my opinion. Yeah. So I guess where I'm going is I think that what I, focus and and um, then sort of share force of will is I mean I, I'll just speak for myself. I can't speak for you know the dental sleep, uh, folks who are doing you know kick ass job. You know a, a, applaud the work that they're doing, and I and just to be clear, I think that's outstanding, and I think uh, I I wish nothing more than those individuals continue uh to lead that charge. And I wish nothing more that they, you know, sort of spread the gospel so that there are more people in the dental sleep medicine community treating more patients. I'm all about um trying to expand access to effective treatments uh options, not to minimize access. But back to like, well, how how is somebody successful? How is somebody not? Um I think it's again, sheer force of will I, I know in your book you talk a lot about, you know, sort of um, mindset and methodology about how to go about uh going from sort of let's call it zero to one you know, going from kind of not having really a dental sleep practice to having one mm-hmm. and i think to me the answer on like basically for those individuals that aren't let's say aren't successful meaning they're not getting the volume of patients or doing the volume that they would like to do I think a likely explanation for that is is lack of focus and lack of will. Um, at some point, and I'll just speak for you know, kind of what we've done at Advent is what we did at Advent um, is we basically scuttle the boats or scuttle the ships. I don't know if you know that term. You know who uh, Cortez was? Yes, Cortez. Um, you know, conquistador. Went into Florida? Yes. Uh, no, it went to uh, Mexico. And um, anyway. Hernan Cortez, yes,
1: burn, burn the ships, burn the now, ships. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: what does burn the ships mean? You know, they they he came with his people. They everybody was thinking about when can we go back? We're over here. We're in me. We're this foreign country. When are we going to go back? When are we going to go back? And he got tired of it. He said. Torch him, we're not going back, we're here. Marching inland. Yeah, and I mean, he's a brutal, horrible person that did horrible things, but um, I'm just going to use his analogy, I'm not going to use his brutality, (laughs) but I'd say the analogy is, at some point you have to be willing to leave um, you know, your comfort zone. And it is what, what's uncomfortable. And I, you know, in, in going into this dental sleep uh, space or, or really whatever, it doesn't even have to be dental sleep, but whatever the space that is, you have to be willing to uh, leave behind things that are no longer serving you a purpose. Um, n- n- most people are not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And if you're not willing to do that, you'll never be successful. That's my strong opinion in this, in this particular area. Now, you might have a very successful dental practice, mm-hmm. kudos to you. But as far as actually treating um, you know, individuals who have uh, sleep disordered breathing, if you do it as a hobby, mm-hmm. I mean, nice hobby. But, so,
1: so what yeah. was the inflection point for you at Advent where you decided to, that, that oral appliance therapy was something you were going to focus on?
0: Uh, You know, I think oral appliance therapy sort of came almost as a afterthought. It really was. I mean, I know this is the focus of what we're talking about. To me, the reason that I I do what I do, the reason that ADVENT does what it does, uh, was that I saw patient after patient who were being um, injured, uh, dismissed, harmed, damaged by interacting with the traditional healthcare model as it relates to nose and throat, as we call the breathing triangle. And I got tired of seeing those people um, and their trauma. And I decided enough is enough. And so what does that mean? <clears throat> We're talking probably 10 years ago at this point, I decided I'm no longer gonna sit around and wait for somebody to have to go to their PCP into a hospital and kind of get slapped around, yeah. get shoved to CPAP mask and, and not use it. And then kind of, you know, sort of mope around and kind of be dejected and dismissed. Before they got to me, I'm simply going to step in front of um, the rest of those individuals. And I'm going to get to those people first. I'm going to get the word out so those those individuals know that there's a place that focuses exclusively on the nose and throat.
1: And stepping out front like that, though, you're also exposing yourself to uh, arrows and... Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Which is cool. Like, I mean, we
0: talked about this last time, you know, there's... there's Slings and arrows, bring them. You know, a basically a patient of mine, and I'm still active clinically. But a patient at Advent, there's nothing that that our entire existence um, uh, is here to serve you, and we are your guide, and we are going to get you to you know sort of the promised land. that's the mindset I've always had for my patients. That's the mindset we have as a practice. Um, it, everything else is sort of secondary. I mean, I don't. All the chatter, I mean, chatter is chatter. But if it's going to, you know, sort of, uh, if it doesn't, if it doesn't serve that purpose, I, I don't really. It, it's not concerning to me. Mm-hmm. So if hospitals are a little annoyed with what we're doing, let them be annoyed. If, if certain um, dental sleep medicine colleagues are annoyed fine, be annoyed if, you know, whatever the case may be. And I don't do that. Again, I'm not doing that to annoy them. I'm doing that because I have, I have a purpose to serve and that's the patients that I'm seeing. But I guess back to kind of that story arc, it's, it was me seeing a massive area of need and knowing that I have all of the tools that are necessary to help that area um and and when i'm saying all the tools what what does he mean when he says all the tools i have i'm a nose and throat doctor i'm an ear nose and throat doctor i'm a head and neck surgeon this is my territory a nose that's working combined with a throat that that's open is powerful and we don't need exotic and esoteric we need simple and repeatable and effective and Mm -hmm. and that's what we do at advent and so you know oral appliance therapy is just something that's a um I don't know. It's the fries with your burger kind of a thing. It's not. It's not the reason that we're here, but it's it's an important component to get somebody you know the treatment that they need. Um, but I, back to focus was the key. Focus on this is an important thing, mm-hmm. um, and I mean focus so much that I that we've defined it as its own category. So the breathing triangle is a category, meaning mm-hmm. that. Um, Sleep apnea is a condition that exists. Obstructive sleep apnea is a condition that exists within the breathing triangle. Um, and you know part of that definition it's that's a that's a way for me to think that's a way for my, for my providers to think that's a way for patients to think. It's a simple way to say yeah, that makes sense and, and this is really important.
1: Yeah. So going back to the wall mm-hmm. if you can just estimate approximately what percentage of your patients, for your patients, do you prescribe CPAP or or PAP therapy versus oral appliance therapy? Oof. Rough estimate. Yeah, it's probably
0: uh, in t- today's world, I'd say fifty fifty. Yeah, honestly, it's probably it actually is probably actually more CPAP than oral appliance therapy. And that's, I mean, <laughs> that isn't how I, that's not how I do it.
1: Well, that's, that's what I'm asking. The the, a,
0: well, ad, no, ad, advent. Ad, ad, I'm saying that's how we do it at Advent. And yeah. it's like, well, what, how could this, how could I be saying that we're 50, 50 when he's such a big proponent for oral appliance therapy is yeah. much as you think people, you know, my people listen to me, they don't listen to okay. me. <laughs> so honestly, so yeah. I, I think that's, it's more of a, it, it uh, oral appliance, um, Oral appliance therapy in uh, my various clinic locations was very difficult prior to us bringing it in a house. And we're still just sort of ramping that up. And so my providers are used to a world where oral appliance yeah. therapy is actually hard to get to.
1: So, so 50-50, even mm-hmm. though you're such a proponent. Yeah. Even that is incredibly favorable for oral appliance therapy compared to, you know, on, on, nationally, mm-hmm. what, what the prescription habits are. Sure. What's going on there? Yep. I mean, what? What? Why aren't more physicians prescribing oral appliance therapy? Yeah. Um, and because that that number is is probably something more like ninety nine to one. Correct. Yeah. And, and, and
0: just and what I like, I think Advent's currently fifty fifty. Uh, I it, how I view it. I I, I view or, for our patients who have sleep apnea and primary snoring, uh, and for whom a device is is a, is a good option. I, my opinion is uh, we, we at ADVENT uh, are, will be an oral appliance therapy first practice. Where nose first practice, oral appliance therapy first practice, and move on into CPAP or throat surgery or Inspire surgery only if necessary. Like that's that's where we're going. We're right. not there yet. We're on the journey.
1: But many of your colleagues, you know, a patient with mild apnea, mm-hmm. mild OSa, they're getting a
0: PAP. Absolutely.
1: So yeah, in in the
0: traditional world, whether it's ENT or um, you know sleep medicine or primary care, I don't even know what you call that. It's yeah, nine. It's probably what CPAP the. You know, see the people who are ordering these things: CPAP to oral appliance therapy. Uh, I, there's a number in my head that's like six percent, but I don't. I, I agree. I think it's probably ninety-nine point nine percent CPAP, pap. Point um, 0.1% oral appliance therapy. That's yeah, the wall. Yeah.
1: Right. So what ha- what happens? How do how do you knock down that wall? How do you scale that wall? Well, let me ask it differently. Can you? Can that be done? on a on a national scale, on a global scale mm-hmm. or can it only be done by the the focused uh by the focused will to power by individuals?
0: I think it can only I, I guess I think it can only be done by the focused will of individuals. I, I think it's the right way to treat patients. I think the um the the current system i mean basically it, it, the only way to create the future that you want to exist is to be to be able and willing to disrupt the present you cannot evolve gradually and naturally into um, you know sort of this future state if, if, as a specific example if let's just say let's call it 50-50 let's say we would want we want a country we, let's focus on america we want a country where it's 50-50 you know if you if for people who have sleep apnea um, you know half of them on oral appliance therapy half of them on rncpap great i think it should be actually more than that but just just as a specific example cool you know, you can't go and, you know, let's, let's get like some. Thought leaders together, we'll have a meeting and we'll talk about this this future existence. And let's talk about it. That'd be really cool. That's cool. Like, yeah, that makes sense. And let's you know, we'll have a couple of drinks and we'll talk about. Oh, that's great. And then nothing's going to happen. That's not going to happen. It doesn't happen that way. So, what? How are you going to create that future that you want? You're going to you, know, you meaning a specific individual, specific entity, are going to take an action to disrupt what's happening. Um, that's what we're trying to do at Advent, honestly. I mean, I—I I, I mean, I said this before, but you know, I am going to be the change that I want to see. Sure. We're on a pathway. We're not there yet, um, but yeah. I mean, back to the wall and kind of the the current state. Um, I mean, I, it the question I think you asked before is, well, why aren't more people going into oral appliance? Why, is, why isn't this happening? Like uh, primary care, you know, sleep med, why, why aren't they, basically, why aren't they why don't they think oral appliance therapy first? Like he, he just said oral appliance therapy should be the first line treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. How come that's not happening? And we, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but I think there
1: are... And it's not just you. I mean, it's yeah. the AASM, AS, mm-hmm. you know, practice guidelines say the same thing for, you know, for mm-hmm. certain patients. So, sure. Yeah, no,
0: I mean, it makes all the sense in the world. So, I mean, so why isn't it happening? And I think honestly for, back to what we were talking about before, dental sleep medicine needs a kind of a handoff or they need the ball passed to them. Um, they're on the other side of the wall. And so they're waiting there, you know, patiently or impatiently, but they need to get the hand off. Um, and so why isn't the ball getting handed off more? Um, my honest answer from a med- the medical side of the, the fence is I don't think anybody actually cares on this side of the fence. About sleep apnea, about this whole condition, and in fact, I think the you know as I think about it, the the but, sort
1: of uh, sorry, let mm-hmm. me interject for a second. I mean, they, that can't be the case because there are a lot of PAPs being prescribed.
0: Uh, uh, sort of, although how many there there are some being prescribed uh, a micro fraction compared to if say if PAP was to, to the actual to mean, the actual yes. issue. I, I, I really don't think that people people don't. When I say people, I mean physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs on, in the medical house, whether they're primary care or even sleep. I mean, you think they care passionately? Um, I just I've not seen that level of passion um, in it, and it, it, I feel like in medicine in general, it's it's a pretty there's a malaise right now, and it, and it's probably just the, the 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 destiny that we've chosen as a as a country is. There's very few people in medicine who actually care uh, about patient care anymore. Um, we've neutered them. Um, and that happened probably 20, 30, over the last 20 to 30 years as, as physicians be, went from individual, independent, powerful entities to employed, uh, powerless individuals stuck in these systems. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just clocking in and clocking out. And I mean, it's not like they don't care, but they don't care a lot. And they don't. they certainly aren't gonna care enough to make them go out of their way. Like, you know, I guess you you take a typical doc and a typical system and you say, sleep apnea is a big deal, right? Yeah, it's a big deal. Hey, I'm, I'm coming here. I'm from the dental sleep community. I got this great treatment. It's going to really help a lot of your patients. Cool. That's great. Um, here's what I need out of you. I need you for the patients that, that have sleep apnea. Let's just focus on mal for now. I, I, I would love it if you would would, would send those my way, and I'll, I'll do a, a, a Johnny-on-the-spot job, bang up, get them sure, treated sure. properly. They'll be great, happy, so from the on. Yeah. And what is this, this doctor thinking?
1: It sounds hard. Yeah. I don't know.
0: I don't know. I mean, you know. Okay, you
1: know. I just—it's almost. Did they care? Or did they care at the genesis of their career? Uh, they got bitter, jaded, worn down. Or did they
0: never care? I—I I don't know the answer. I think they did. I think they cared before the system sort of beat them into submission. Uh-huh. Um, potentially,
1: I, so, I don't really even know. But. Yeah, because then wouldn't you see younger clinicians? Prescribe. I mean, be, it would be, be it, different, right? It would be different, yes. Yeah, and I don't That's think it is any different. Yeah.
0: In fact, I think it's probably worse because the, the, the younger physicians are getting trained by the older physicians who, um, it's just very sort of laissez-faire, you know, I don't know, acceptance of, of um, pathetic um, treatment choices. I I, I don't know how to describe it, but I just, it, it isn't going to happen by magic. Um, and unfortunately the reality for dental sleep medicine is they need this medical community to like, you know, like snap, you know, like whatever, snap in to it, like wake up here. What what are we doing? And, um, I, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, I don't mean to be a downer, but it's true. I just, I don't see a future, um, in the current state right now. And I'm trying to do my own thing and, you know, we'll see kind of, you know, how far down the road we can get. But, um, anyway, it's, it's, it's not, it it is as, as much as, as I would hope and think that, um, that, uh, Things are going to move in the right direction. They're not going to move in the right direction unless there are individuals who are willing to force it
1: to move. What about some of the like the governing bodies, the, the the organizational structures? That will any of those have any sort of meaningful impact? The ASMs, the ADSMs of the world. No, no. <laughs>
0: I'm not giving you anything. Yeah. I mean, I'd say you know, from my understanding, the the most the the, the issue that seems to be the most passionate issue for the. Um, the sleep medicine community is um, daylight savings time. It's killer, you know that?
1: Doesn't bother me, I live in in Arizona.
0: (laughs) you're immune. Yeah. Uh, but they, they they get, I mean, every year, well, twice a year, it, it, I see a lot of yes. uh, passion. It's its like exciting. And I'm like, well, yeah, I think it's annoying too. But no, no, I don't think any of these governors, I, I mean, I'm a, a, we talked about this out of the gate. I believe in the power of the individual yeah. and these organizations, I don't have, I'm not against them, but yeah. organizations like that, I guess I'd say what, what, what change has any of those organizations have have actually made? Like, I mean, they, they pass things and it's allows people to come together, but those organizations don't, they don't create change. People create change.
1: Uh, So as, as someone who hosts one of those meetings that you you talked about (laughs) that brings everyone together and they have a couple of drinks. Yeah. I would say the benefit of, of something like that Mm -hmm. is that it does get like-minded people together. Now most most of those people 98% of those people are going to leave and go back to things as they were. Yeah. And they'll live with the regret of knowing that they should be doing something that they're not doing. And uh, yeah. until for, for a couple of weeks. And then that will dissipate and everything will just go back to what it was. Yeah. There is that 1% or potentially even that one person that you know, hear something that you say from the stage mm-hmm. that has a conversation um, that 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 really does incite some change that that gives them that focus mm-hmm. that that helps ignite that will to power yeah. that, that you're talking about. I think that's very real, and I think that makes makes it worth it. Not not trying to be an apologist for meetings because yeah. a lot of them are nonsense. Sure. Uh, but they're not all created equal yours is gonna be kick ass I think but
0: uh, no I, I don't I mean um, I, I'm a very, I'm a realist and I'd say yeah I mean one it, I, it at the end of the day we're I think we're saying the same thing it it, it takes sort of the 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 light going off in an individual who's right. willing to do something that 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 meaning taking action
1: but that that's that's what really Upsets me, offends me about so much of this is I I hear so many clinicians on on both sides of the wall mm-hmm. pointing to the top of the wall, at, you know to, to to the being up there that's supposed to topple it for them and then everything will change. Until then, I'm just going to keep going as I am, and mm-hmm. when that happens, yeah, it's gonna all bets are off. It's going to be amazing. Correct, and but to your point, it's the end. Indi- it's up to the individual. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. that's where people don't want to take action. It's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? It's uh, There's a learning curve. There's some injury to the ego. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of clinicians, I think, uh, bo- on, on both sides of the wall, you know, they make decent money. Sure. So there are these velvet handcuffs. Well, I'm not going to really make any change because I'm doing okay. Absolutely. And that's where that that's where I, I don't, sometimes I feel like I'm shouting into a void. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, occasionally I'll run into someone who's heard something I've said, read something I've written. And they said, you know, that really resonated and I changed these things or I changed this mindset as a result of that. Yeah. And I think that makes it, it worthwhile, mm-hmm. but it, it puts the onus on the individual. And as we've talked about, most people are, you know, they they follow the flock mentality and they're resistant to change and they're resistant to uh, enduring hardship, which is what you have to do. You know, it's the hero's journey, Mm -hmm. right? You've got to go through all these challenges and these hardships to come out the hero at the end. Most people don't want to do that. It sounds hard. (laughs) It is hard. It is. It is. is. Who wants to do hard things? I mean, and,
0: and, and I would definitively say, you know, comfort is the enemy of growth. It's the enemy of change. Yes. If
1: you're com- I mean, if you think about, um, so, so, so who wants to do hard things? People that want to grow, people that want to develop, people that want more. Right. And most people don't, and want, most people don't, don't want So again, things. it puts the emphasis on the individual. Correct. So you'll be at this meeting in February. Mm-hmm. There'll be a few hundred people there. Yeah. Let's say there are 300 people there. We can estimate that three of them will <laughs> go forth and make some sort of significant, meaningful change as a result of yeah what they experience there. Yeah, and three is better than nothing. I, I would mean, certainly agree.
0: You know, but six would be better than three. And I think for me, um, you know, as I think about it, you know, what does it take? It 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 is the more comfortable somebody is, the harder it is going to be to uh, cause them to. want to take action Mm -hmm. honestly and i think pain is a
1: great motivator
0: it is absolutely a great motivator and so you know know, how do you say this so i think for me what it took was feeling i mean i talked about it just now is feeling the pain on behalf of my patients and that's what motivated me i was very i was i mean I, i was in a very comfortable existence when i sort of kind of the light bulb went off for me and when that light bulb went off, when that, I was in a very comfortable existence and I had, you know, general sense of purpose and that's great. it's cool. Uh, I think when I started to really, truly feel kind of the, the pain on behalf of my patients, um, the, that, that sense of purpose became an overwhelming, uh, gravitational force and I've just simply being—I mean, everything I'm doing is simply just sort of like I'm just being sucked towards that. I mean, you know, so so that's what it caused you know caused me to be you know start on the journey that I'm on. It's what caused my organization to um, you know willingly or not willing to me willingly to get dragged forward mm-hmm. by me. Um, and that's been you know the most fan. Fantastical ride imaginable. So that's where, I mean, how do you sit? I guess why I'm saying it and the way I'm saying it is that that's, um, to be able to live a life with a clear sense of purpose, uh, is a very unusual, uh, and, and, and fortunate, uh, place to be in comfort, uh, is not, um, a substitute, for that. Yet it is very, um, it's very enticing. It's intoxicating. It, it just, it sort of lulls you into that. And, and so I don't know, I don't have an answer. I don't have, I guess to me, it'd be if I had a hammer or whatever I need to knock somebody up against the head. And that what I what I will say is, I guess my, my attempted hammer is simply to try to speak with passion and conviction about the conditions that I treat. Because I think anybody who's coming to your conference that is um, interested in Uh, helping individuals who are suffering from these conditions, if they truly can kind of sort of, you know, wipe the sleep out of their eyes and see how important this is, how important this work is, that I think they will take that first step in a forward direction towards that sense of purpose. But until they are willing to to do that, um, you know, like that's for other people. I guess to me, it's like taking that wall down, kind of what you said and kind of what I've said before is somebody else should do that. Um, Mm -hmm. and back to, and I said this on the last thing about, you know, it's not the critic that counts is that, um, as you're taking these bricks down, you know, sweating blood coming out of your pores, Mm -hmm. taking these bricks down, um, what will also happen is, is people be looking at you and they'll be critiquing your, um, your technique on taking those bricks down. They'll be like. You know, it it, it is not the critic that counts. And I mean, you're talking about the 99% of people who leave the meetings and kind of like, you know, whatever, go about their business. I think those same 99 are in the critic. Many of them are in the critic uh, camp who are looking at the 1% and with envy. So I, I actually think people who go to these meetings, there are the doers and the people who make stuff happen. And then there are the critics who just go gently to their seats and they sit there and they... I, I, whatever I don't know they may they, there may be a few emotions but envy is probably a big one yeah
1: so a lot of those people though I think they go with the best of intentions I, I agree and it's it's taking what they've experienced and putting it into action mm-hmm. that's the challenging part sure and one thing that I see a lot amongst a lot of practices that are really successful is there seems to be a really charismatic leader mmm sort of runs the show. And some of those people that go to their seats that you just described. Aren't that. Sure, thanks thanks for (laughs) preventing me from calling them dullards, which I think I just did. (laughs) But I mean, you're pretty charismatic.
0: Some would say, I don't, yeah.
1: Sorry, I'm just reading the screen, it's all, <laughs> the, the script on the screen. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. You, Jason
0: yeah. says, you're charismatic. Yeah. You're a good person, yeah. right? But, yeah. but
1: I mean, you're pretty charismatic. Uh, you've got a strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. Is, is, that, it, is that a part of what drives this? Uh, I'll kind of go the
0: opposite way. I've become charismatic, or attempted to become charismatic, because it's what I've needed to do to serve my purpose. Uh-huh. Uh, I was a sheep. Let me just—I mean, like, I, I was—I guess my natural state is is sheep-like in the pack. Mm. And and as much as I, you know, talk about the black sheep and the individual, um, I, you know, I I don't want to be doing. I mean, like, when I say I don't want to be doing this, like, I don't, I don't, I'd rather be sort of uh on the team not leading the charge Mm -hmm. i mean my best my best position is is on the team and whatever you want whatever is i mean basically my best position is on the team and whatever is the best thing for the team i'll do it and in my in my current state whatever what's the best thing for this team is Mm -hmm. for me to attempt to be charismatic. charismatic for me to you know sort of um you know, make myself into what's necessary to make this thing happen. Mm-hmm. But it's not a, I mean, it's not like, it's not fake. It's, it, I mean, I, it's, it's a part of who I am, but it's, it's who I've, I've forced myself to be because it's what's necessary.
1: Yeah. So you're a leader, but you've got to lead the team. Yeah. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about next time. All right. So for now, kumbaya. Oh, man. Kumbaya. No hand holding, though.
0: Next week on Out of Breath. All disappointment exists in the gap between expectations and reality and getting crystal clear on what the delta is between current reality and expectations and then figuring out what are we doing about that.